All right, guys, so what I want you to do is we're going to look at Lesson 36 today, Malachi. Malachi. So we're going to do some brief introductory material just to kind of help you to understand who he is, and then we're going to get into the first two chapters. Next week, we're going to finish it up with chapters 3 and 4. So we'll finish up Malachi. So let's talk about some introductory material. So Malachi is viewed as the last prophet of the Old Testament before John the Baptist. So this is the last prophet of the Old Testament before John the Baptist. Okay, so we don't know, you know, there's what is known as the 400 silent years, maybe you've heard that term, refers to basically that time between Malachi and, of course, the appearance of John, all right? So there's 400 silent years. We don't have any scripture that is being written then uh, for us to have. And so this is the last prophet. Now, he's a post-exilic prophet. So he is a prophet to Judah, the province of Judah, in the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? and to the Jews there, and this is after the exile, okay? After the exile. Uh, let's talk about his name. It's very interesting. It's not Malachi. He's not Italian. He's Jewish. My name is, the name Malachi means my messenger, okay? Now, it's interesting. This, this name appears nowhere else in the scripture, Okay? You're not going to find Malachi mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So some scholars feel that he's basically anonymous. And I'll explain why in a moment. But basically, he, he just goes by the title of Malachi, meaning my messenger. Okay, God's messenger. All right? Why, why do they say that? Well, nothing is known about the prophet and the origins of his family. You're not going to find anything in this book that gives you any kind of hint of who he is. Okay? Nothing is there. All right? Nothing's there at all about who he is, what tribe he was from, whether he was a priest, or whether from the house of David, or, or nothing. You know, with, with all the other prophets, we knew who they were. They were either shepherds or a fig dresser, you know, a sycamore tree tender, you know what I'm saying, or a, a priest or whatever. There's nothing, all we know is, is his name is Malachi, which is an unusual name. So we don't know who he is. Now, there's some speculation then. Well, who is he then? Well, he is writing during the time of Nehemiah the governor. Okay, so Nehemiah would be a few decades later from Zerubbabel. Remember Nehemiah, he was sent by the Persian king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And at that time, there was Ezra, the priest, okay? So some speculate that maybe this is a something that Ezra wrote, okay? Might have been Ezra, not Nehemiah, but maybe Ezra, okay? But we're not sure. But to be honest with you folks, it's God's word. It's been both the Jews and we as the church believe this is the last book of the Old Testament. Okay, so who he is exactly doesn't matter. Why do I say that? Because we've had other minor prophets 
where we didn't know anything about them, right? But it was very obvious from their message it was God's word, right? It fit with what God was wanting to communicate. And we're going to see that here with Malachi. So, again, Malachi is not mentioned by name elsewhere in the Bible. So you're not going to see Jesus mention him or, or anything, which that's okay. So let's talk about the date of the prophecy. The date of Malachi is not specified in the scriptural text. Now remember, with both Haggai and Zechariah, they told you when they were writing, okay? They told you. In fact, they would say each oracle was two months after the other oracle, in this month, of, and it was using the months that are in the Medo-Persian calendar. So this one does not tell you specifically a date. However, here's what we know. The reference to governor points to the book being written after 538 B.C. The concept of governor doesn't emerge in the Israeli culture, community, Ju Judah, until after 538, when they go back and there's an establishment of a governor, which was Zerubbabel, okay, by the Medo-Persian king. So that the fact that this book says governor tells us it's written during the Medo-Persian time, and it would be sometime after 538, okay? Here's the other thing. The message of the book points to it being written sometime between 550 to 530 B.C. during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? Sometime during that time period. Why? Because parts of his message have to do with the issues that Nehemiah and Ezra are dealing with. Like, what kind of issues? Well, with Haggai and Zechariah, they were during the time when they were to rebuild the temple. Okay? With this book, it, it is, corresponds with the issues that Nehemiah, and especially Ezra, the priest, is dealing with, and that is a corruption of the priesthood. They were intermarrying with those of other beliefs, pagans. Okay? And that was wrong. Remember Nehemiah, towards the end of his book, he's really upset and telling them they have to put away their foreign wives, and that they are abusing the covenant and so forth. Okay? That's one of the issues. There's a corruption there that we see being addressed in Malachi that fits with the time period. So we think that it had to be written sometime during the period of Nehemiah and Ezra. And that's why I told you that some folks think it's Ezra, but he just said my messenger, okay? All right, so let's talk about this book now, all right? So we're going to start, first of all, with the faithlessness of the priests being condemned. So chapters 1 through chapter 2, verse 9, talks about the faithlessness of the priests, who should know better, right? Because the priests were supposed to lead the nation in the worship of who? The Lord and the teaching of the covenant. Okay? But they're being faithless. So let's look at this together. So let me look, first of all, at verses 1 to 14. Here's what he says in the book of Malachi. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? 
declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to, to jackals of the desert. Ephedim says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says. They may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see it, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. And if I'm your father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised? When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is this not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting of my name, will, from its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its fruit may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at that, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Wow, interesting. Wow, are they doing right? No, not necessarily. So let's take a look here. All right, so first of all, there's going to be an introduction. We see that in verse 1, okay? And that is that the book begins with a statement that this is an, was an oracle of God's word. All right? So we're familiar with that. A lot, have you noticed with the pre-exilic prophets, they use the term oracle. Okay? So this is an oracle of God's word. The oracle was given to Israel by Malachi. All right? Now, here's what he says. The Lord states that he has loved Israel, but Israel questions how God has loved them. 
What does that tell you about somebody? The Lord says, I love you. And then the, and the response is, well, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? What, what does that reflect when somebody does that? Okay. If you, if you say to your sweetie, I love you. And your sweetie says, well, how have you loved me? What? Denial? Uh, yeah, maybe. What else do you think that is? Selfishness. Like who's focused on who? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I love you. Well, how have you loved me? You know what I'm saying? Like that, that, there's, there's something wrong with that kind of statement, isn't there? This is what Israel's doing here. So here's what the Lord says. The Lord expresses that even though Esau was Jacob's brother, he loved Jacob and hated Esau. We know that, right? Jacob I love, but Esau I've hated, all right? And so, in fact, here's what the Lord does. The Lord has brought judgment to Edom. Okay, Edom is the nation that arose out of Esau. And he also destroys their efforts to rebuild. He says, I destroy them. And then they say, we're going to rebuild. Then I tear it down some more. You know what I'm saying? So the Lord says, I will forever hate them. That's interesting. So you want to know how I loved you? Look at what I'm hating. Okay? That's what he's saying here. So Israel will see this and respond that the Lord is great beyond its borders. Meaning, their God is not just a local God. Their God does beyond where they're at, okay? So now he gets into the priests. So here's what he says. While it is normal to honor and have fear, the Lord questions why do they not honor and fear him? Okay, so I think we're all raised that when you're with somebody who's superior, well, okay, let's take court for a second. If you're in a courtroom and one of our county judges is up there and you appear before him, what is expected of you? How are you to act when you appear before the judge? Respect, Respect honor, right? Okay, we, we even say you honor, right? Okay. And is there an element of fear, especially if you're appearing before him, right? Okay, that's normal, right? Now, if you've ever been there and you've seen somebody who doesn't show any respect or, or doesn't show any honor, have you ever been in there when you've seen, I've seen that sometimes in a courtroom. That doesn't go well, does it? Do you know what I'm saying? That doesn't, that doesn't usually end well for the person who's acting that way, okay? The Lord is saying, you know what? You would show honor to your masters, and you would fear your masters, but why don't you fear and honor me? Good question, right? Okay, that's talking about the, he's talking about the priests here. The Lord states that the priests have despised his name by offering polluted sacrifices. Now remember, we talked about that last week. I mentioned to you about Rob selling, you know, selling, uh, sacrificial animals because he you know it's been inspected and i'm supposed to go see rob for a good sheep or whatever you know what i'm saying well they're not even inspecting them anymore some guy shows up and he's got a deformed sheep now the law stated it had to be what perfect and but now the priests are just offering whatever they don't care they're they're polluting the Lord's offering, okay? The blemishes and so forth. 
So he tells them to present such offerings to their governor and see if he accepts them. You catch what he's saying there? It's kind of a funny thing, right? The governor said, the, the Lord says, hey, why don't you take that to your governor? See if he wants that lamb. You know, he wants roasted mutton with that. And you're going to bring it to me? I mean, it's like he's pointing out that there's a double standard there. You know what I'm saying? You're not showing me any fear. You're not giving me any honor. You're bringing these deformed animals, polluted and that wouldn't be accepted anywhere else, would it? So the Lord calls for one to shut the temple service since he will not accept their offerings. The Lord, here's what he says. Isn't there someone among you that will just shut the doors? Did you catch that when he said that? What's he talking about? Shut the doors on the temple so that they don't go through this mindless process of, quote, worship. Wow. So God takes worship pretty serious, huh? He would rather you, what, close the door on the place if it's not genuine. Isn't that interesting? What, what do you think there is for us in that? Because is it possible to mindlessly come to church? You know what I'm saying? And go through the motions. You know when to stand up. You know when to bow your head. You know when to sing a song. But in the meantime, you're thinking, well, I may be able to make it to lunch at Spanky's. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, or, will, or, or, or is there better food today at that pizza joint I'm going to? I mean, am I going to miss the game? Because, you know, this, the you know, games are starting this week. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? You could be totally distracted. But, hey, I did my... I did my time, I did my duty, I was there, Lord, you know what I'm saying? And God's saying, can't somebody just shut the doors? Is there not somebody to just shut the doors? Because I think it's more offensive to him that they continue on in their what? Meaningless worship, right? Because they're, they're offering him polluted sacrifices. So here's what he does. The Lord curses the one who promises the best from his flock. And then offers a blemished one instead. So the Lord is saying, cursed is the guy who promises the best. Now, what would that happen? Because remember, they would brag, you know? They would brag, you know, there's so-and-so, and he's like, he's wanted to show off that he's, he's really spiritual. Well, I will give the Lord the best from my flock. Well, what he takes to the, to the offering is the ones that he's trying to cull the herd from. Do you, do you understand what or call the flock from? And God is saying that person should be cursed. Do you understand? Because he's not fulfilling what he should be doing. So that, this is amazing, isn't it? Okay? This is amazing that this is going on. So notice now, I want you to see the warning. He gives a warning in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Here's what he says. Excuse me. Verse 1. Now, O priest, this command is for you. So he's talking directly to the priest. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, 
And I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to, to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Now, do you understand what dung is, right, folks? Manure, all right? So he's going to spread manure on their faces. The, the, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he, he turned away many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest shall guard knowledge, and people shall seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So he's talking about people of Levi, what they're supposed to be doing here. But you have turned aside from the way. Okay? You've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble at your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people, insomuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Wow. Pretty hard rebuke here, isn't it? They're not doing what they should be doing. Who are they doing it for? Themselves. And even in their instructions, they show partiality. So here's what I want you to see, okay? Here's what I want you to see, the warning. The Lord warns the priests that if they will not honor him, he will send a curse upon them. They're going to have problems, okay? They're going to have problems. This curse would extend to their descendants, and he will shame them. Rubbing manure on your face is a pretty shameful thing, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, it's the manure from the sacrifices that they're making, okay? It's a shameful thing, all right? Shameful thing. Now, it's interesting. Our culture has moved away from that. Shame is a thing... Now, yes, we've moved away from rubbing manure on people, too. But, I mean, the, the point is, is that we've moved away from publicly shaming people, right? Yeah? But that, that's very much what he's talking about here. So the Lord reminds them of the covenant he made with Levi. So he, he's bringing them back all the way. The covenant of Levi was the establishment of the priesthood, his separation of separating Levi out of the 12 tribes to serve before him, and they would also, those Levites, would serve and instruct the people. The priests from the house of Aaron would be the priests before the Lord. They're all from the tribe of, Is, of, of, of Levi. And he had an, he's reminding them of the covenant that he made with them. And while they were to instruct the people, they have corrupted the covenant instead. Instead of doing what they were supposed to do, they corrupted what they were supposed to do. They were doing it for their benefit, not for the people. Do you understand? Not for the people. And because they cause many to stumble, he will make them despised 
before the people. The people will despise the priests, is what he's saying. He'll make them despised before the people. Now, let's talk about a bigger issue that's going on. We get it now in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. All right? Here's what he says. Have we not all one Father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel, in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. All right, let's stop there. We're just going to go through verses 10 through 12. So first of all, the sin of intermarriage. So here's how he starts out. Don't we all have one father? Now here's what he's trying to understand. You would read that and you might think, well, he's saying that Everybody has God because we're all created of God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to Israel. And he's saying to Israel, don't we all have one father, one God? Who's that one God? Yahweh. Okay? So the prophet asked the question concerning whether all of Israel has one God. They should only have one God. Remember, it was in the commandments. You will have no other gods except me. Right? First commandment. Well, he's saying, don't we all have one God? Obviously they didn't. Why? He then questions why they have broken faith and profaned the covenant of their fathers. So again, the covenant of their fathers was the covenant that was established by Moses, remember? And with that was the giving of the Ten Commandments and the very first commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. And they've profaned that. Now, how are they having other gods? Okay, well, here's how. Judah has intermarried with idolatrous women and continues to worship in the temple. So they want to be good Jews, so they keep going to the temple, but they also want to marry some woman who's not in the faith, who's not Jewish who doesn't worship the Lord. They want to marry Canaanites or whoever else, Philistine or whatever. Whatever woman there is that appeals to them, they whether she worships the Lord or not, they marry her. Now, here's the in interesting thing. You know this from marriage. We influence each other in our marriages, don't we? And so you may have one who's solid, but you're still going to be influenced somehow. And obviously these men didn't have a problem with their women worshiping other gods in their household. So they were going to the temple and making their offering. Now, they wouldn't take her because why? She wouldn't be allowed in the temple, right? As far as she could go is the court of the Gentiles. And so the reality is, he's saying, you're coming to the temple, but... You're intermarrying. You're, you're, you continue your worship, but you're intermarrying here. This was a big issue in Nehemiah, especially among the priests, okay? Especially among the priests. 
So he pronounces a curse on the one who intermarries and then brings an offering to the Lord. This is especially egregious to him, that 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 person who intermarries doesn't have enough shame to realize he's done wrong, but he keeps acting like everything's okay. Keeps acting like everything's okay. So he he pronounces a curse. Pronounces a curse. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I find it interesting. That word curse, we've heard that in these last three books we've looked at. We've heard curse used in Zechariah. We've heard curse used in Haggai. It seems, you could tell that these are written in the same time period because it seems to be that's a common phrase that's used by the Jews in this post-exilic period. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, it was used in other, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree, but we've heard that a lot here, okay? God is pronouncing a curse on those who intermarry. Now, but that's not the only sin. The sin we also see in verses 13 through 16. Here it is. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because no, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is a companion in your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Okay, so he's talking about the issue of divorce here. All right, so let me explain to you what's happening here. So first of all, he announces a second sin that they're engaged in. Okay? A second sin that they're engaged in. They weep before the altar and question why the Lord does not accept their offerings. So when he's talking about, he's talking about the men here. They're going and they're like, oh God, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you honoring me with my... And so they're just weeping, you know, and they're wondering why, why, why? Well, the prophet says, here's why. The Lord states that they have been unfaithful to the wives of their youth. They've been unfaithful. So they're not doing right. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not doing right. Do you understand what I mean? They're not being sexually faithful to their spouses. But yet they're going to the altar and what? Why aren't you listening to me, Lord? Okay? So they have been faithless to the marriage covenant that God had established. So God's not hearing them. They've been faithless to the marriage covenant that God had established. The Lord describes a man who divorces his wife as doing violence. Why? Why? Now, why would he use that terminology here? Well, because in their culture, they didn't have divorce courts. You didn't go, and if you had children, you you didn't go and get support. Do you know what I'm saying? Go to the county and have them set it up for you to get a child support or whatever. That The kind of structures that we have today did not exist then. Typically, what happened was is that basically a man would go to his wife and say, I divorce you. Get out of here. 
And he would kick the wife, and of course the children would go with her and kick her out. And where would she go? If she couldn't go back to her own family, or maybe they're dead by now, she's on her own, destitute. She, he's basically thrown them out. And that is violence, is what God says. You've done them violence. And he describes a man who divorces his wife as doing violence. So here's what the Lord does. He calls them to guard themselves in their spirit and do not be faithless. Guard your spirits. You know what I'm saying? Do not be faithless. Now you say, well, that sounds like the Old Testament, George. Well, hey, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read to you what Peter writes. It's interesting because nothing's changed. You're wondering why God's not listening to you? Think about you and your spouse. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Oh, verse 7, excuse me. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in understanding, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that, are you ready? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. That, that's interesting. And he's telling the guys here, you know, live, honor your wife. Do what's right by her. Because if you're not, your prayers won't be what? Heard. They're going to be hindered. You know what I'm saying? How's your relationship? I would even transfer that over to spouse, a female as well. How, how are you? How's your relationship? You're wondering why God's not listening. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's the point there. And so he's pointing it out, but here's what he's doing. He's calling them to guard themselves in their spirit and not be faithless. So two sins. They're intermarrying, but then they're also messing around on their wives. But yet here's the thing. The point is, is that these guys keep going to the altar, keep going, and acting like everything's okay in their worship. And God says, I see right through it. That's the point here. God's not impressed by hypocritical actions, right? He knows what's going on here, and he's rebuking them for their sins. So next week, we're going to get into chapter 3, and then into the few verses of chapter 4, and we're going to finish up the last book of the Old Testament.